Hi, I am Puneet Khurana. Me and my very good friends Manish Dhawan and Nuresh Mirani brings you Stoic Talks Season 2. We started Stoic Talks as an initiative to bring practical and implementable investing wisdom from some of the best minds in the business without getting selective or biased on the investment style or philosophy they follow the idea was to learn various viewpoints choose the nuggets that make sense and develop or enhance one's own investment style let's tune in and listen and learn with stoic talks this particular episode of stoic talks has been recorded in collaboration with dsp mutual fund with that now let's welcome the guest for today ladies and gentlemen welcome to this new episode of stoic talks this podcast is presented to you in collaboration with dsp mutual fund today we have with us anish teli he is an mba from isb and is currently the managing partner at quit capital advisors he has co-authored two research papers on momentum and cons- conservative formula and is a go-to authority on factor investing in india in today's conversation we delve in depth behind the intricacies involved in factor investing particularly focusing on momentum and low volatility i'm sure practitioners of the game will pick up some valuable nuggets listen in right uh welcome to the show anish Thanks, Manish. Thanks, Puneet. Uh, I'm really Great excited. You, Anish. Yeah, I am equally excited. Uh, a topic very close to my heart, and I think Manish's heart also. So let's jump in straight away. Manish, I would uh, uh, this this time I take a back seat and I let you ask most of the questions. But uh, go ahead. Let's start. Yeah, we'll start with the uh, background itself. Uh, let me first uh, give you a brief as to why I'm excited. I have been following Manish's work for quite some time. and uh, to be honest and i don't know why uh is it lack of marketing or whatever he's not as much heard as he should be and so i think uh, stoic talks is filling that void by doing this podcast so rish welcome to the show and uh, let's start from the very basics how you got interested in the markets and uh because i know a bit about your background that you were primarily a fundamental investor if i'm not wrong uh yeah. what's the transition what what led to the transition and uh, talk us through that yeah in fact anish so, i would just say that you know uh, start from the absolute start your educational background and so on and so forth so that people get the color of uh, how how your journey has been from the very start sure so you know i finished my ca around the dot i mean that gives my age away but around the dot com time and uh, and you know we used to make a stipend of around 5000 rupees uh, 6000 rupees around that time so i made uh, in 99 i made and i was interested in the markets because uh, my father although is a doctor uh, you know he was also interested in markets so he used to get this magazine called money magazine and the lal street journal and all of that stuff home. and uh, you know economic times and all of that used to come and i was very interested in reading also so slowly somehow that way you know uh, that's that's how it started and then i got into commerce and i started doing my ca so So the last final year of my CA is when uh, you know I decided to invest that stipend that I had uh, made, and I made two bets. One was in Steel Authority of India, and one was in. Uh, once I give you the name, you will you will know that it's no longer uh, 
you know that company no longer exists so uh, they they used to make these fiat cars which were these uh, black and yellow cabs in in, in bombay right premier padmini i think it was called padmini okay yeah so so the bet was very simple in both cases uh, you know uh, steel authority was trading at around 0.25 price to book and uh, steel cycle was at its lowest so the bet i was taking is that you know the government is not going to let this company go under and uh, it was available at 5 rupees and uh, ultimately I, so i bought half my with half my money i bought steel authority and that went to 4x in the other side the bet was that you know this company has a large uh, land bank in kurla this uh, company that used to make premier padmini and uh, you know one day there'll be value unlocking and uh, the, they'll they're going to develop that land and all of that that company shut down that 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 investment went to zero so on one i made 4x and on one i made zero so uh, you know that's how my journey started and uh, you know with with that uh, i had done my schooling in calcutta i was born and brought up in calcutta and then i moved to bombay after uh, you know the, after 2000 and uh, i started work here i worked for a couple of years uh, with a ca firm in doing corporate finance again then i went to isb hyderabad to do my mba and post that i joined icici venture in private equity so it is as uh, you know as fundamental as is it gets you're looking at uh, you know uh, early stage companies mid stage companies and uh, you know one of and i used to focus on the pharma and healthcare sector along with other new projects so some of the companies uh, which i invested in was now very well known bharat biotech at that point in time nobody knew about it uh, so bharat biotech was one metropolis uh, then some couple of other hospitals in pune so that's how you know that's and that was like again the golden period 2004 to 8 when when stock markets went up 4x and uh, in 2008 can believe it or not how how great my timing was i decided i joined morgan stanley private equity and uh, <laughs> that's when uh, and even though you we were reading all about the housing crisis and this and that and all of that and you know we are but he said no no all this doesn't uh, once best ones went down he said okay you know up to it's reached its uh, end so now things are fine by the way june yeah by the way so in june 2008 i joined morgan stanley and in the next two months it was like you know we went through that uh, you know now everyone's familiar with that story where uh, we we were the last uh, morgan stanley and goldman sachs were the last two investment banks standing uh, between uh, disaster and and uh, luckily for us lehman went down before us and uh, you know overnight the fed decided that you know morgan stanley and goldman sachs will become holding bank holding companies and uh, yeah. so we uh, so every day people used to come and check the stock price you know the, the moment you know if it goes down from 6 dollar to 5 dollars game over so <laughs> and every weekend that used to go home and monday morning we come merrill lynch is gone the next monday you come best on is gone the next monday you come lehman is gone so wow. it was like a crazy time to like you know uh, so somehow we got through got through that time and uh, i spent another another 3 and a half 4 years at uh, doing private equity so we had a third party fund which focused on asia so that was a good exposure you know again looking at china versus india and uh, seeing the scale that is there in china uh, 
you know, and when, when we used to compare scale in India, looking at hospitals, you know, sometimes the whole hospital here would be a floor there. That you know, they used to say that, are you sure you got all the numbers? Because the numbers you're talking of are like really small. But he said, no, this is the scale that you have in India, and that is the scale that you have in China. So that gave a very very good uh, you know perspective. But around 2011-12, um, I think I I wanted to go back to public markets, which I uh, you know, continued to track during this while. But because of regulatory constraints and this and that, I could not uh, be very active uh, in those markets. So in about 2011-12, uh, I decided uh, to move out, and I started. Then I'll take a couple of years and uh, you know. Uh, start uh, investing my own money first and then take it from there and the journey that started from there you know has led me to uh, such uh, such places which i never imagined i would ever go to uh, but uh, you know the first couple of years uh, what happened was that uh, i was uh, we were making good investments we were picking good stocks i had my group of uh, fundamental investors so you know we bought Astral Polys and uh, Ajanta Pharma, which you know all these stocks that took off around that time. So again, it was not uh, you know not uh, very difficult to do it. Uh, we were just starting off. That 2012 rally was just starting off. But somehow uh, you know I was not making those crazy outsized gains, and uh, and that was and the primary primary issue that I I discovered was that. Everybody knew when to buy. Nobody knew when to sell. And then I watched a couple of episodes of you know the Ramesh Dhawani used to do do this series on television at that point in time uh, with investors. And I came across the book uh, by Jack Schwager, uh, Mark, in uh, you know, Market Wizard series. And then I started reading about investing. And then I got started looking at uh, systematic investing and quant investing and things like that. And then slowly uh, you know that uh, i just said okay you know let me go back and examine my investments over the last 3 4 years and if, and one thing that was repeated in all those interviews was that you have to have a stop loss you have to know when you are going to get out you have to know what and but in, you know when we were and it's very different when you're doing it in, in, at an institutional level because there it is all done by consensus and committee and uh, you know it's a very different ball game versus when you're doing it yourself because here you have to decide you have to uh, live with it you have to uh, do everything and as for the love of god i could not you know say that okay when do we need to exit so that led me to just uh, redo my portfolio and i went and sort of uh, back tested all my trades and i said okay what happens if i just put a 10 to 15% stop loss in my investments so i and i also had other shit also right like ivrcl and ivrcl assets and holdings and things companies that don't now exist halonix and uh, at some point in time i sold them but once i put this stop loss thing and i and i did all my trades so the return on investment that I was making in those two three years was about eighteen percent, eighteen to nineteen percent. Once I put that stop loss in, that return went to thirty two percent. And if I had not, if, and I said, oh, what what if I had continued holding on to those companies which I sold at maybe thirty percent down, forty percent down? If I had continued holding on to those companies, my return was down to fixed deposit returns around eight nine percent. 
so then something you know uh, i mean that was like a light bulb moment that was if i can automate my selling why can't i automate my buying also yeah so parish uh, uh, so the thing that you're talking about i actually went through your webinar where you extensively extensively shared this back test so what i'll probably do is that we'll provide the link of that webinar uh, below uh, with this presentation with this podcast yes yeah, sure Please so so you know that was that uh, you know light bulb moment or epiphany as you as you may call it so once i discovered that and uh, i said okay you know maybe ye to acha maybe let me see if i can automate the buying part also and then i started this whole process of uh, uh, saying that okay now how do i screen the buyers and how do i screen the buy list and how do i rank it and all of that and so then i got introduced to then mark minovini's first book came out around that time and then from there i went to canslim and then i i backtested the whole canslim uh, model and again canslim is a framework as such it's not really a system that comes with it it gives you a it gives you the broad framework so then i came up with my own ranking model how to do the ranking and uh, then i would talk to friends who were, who were you know uh, some were in fundamental investing or some were working but also investing and then i would show them that uh, you know like how we share our uh, our questions and you know what we our learnings and they would all say yeah yeah you know we understand what you're saying but uh, it looks good but why don't you just do do it for us and yours are password and login to aap kar lo i said no it doesn't work like that i can't just take your login password and start uh, managing money like that uh so so around 2016 i i applied for pms i said okay fine you know it it anyway is a fairly lonely profession you know when you are investing so i said uh, it will be good maybe you know we'll uh, have like minded people uh, join us and uh, grow slowly along with that so so i started with that uh, kind of uh, model and then slowly as i started doing more and more research on canslim and then i got uh, introduced to factor investing and that's when i saw that you know you can make it even more simpler and even more robust and simpler doesn't mean simplistic but you can make the the whole process a little bit more simpler and uh, so yeah so you know that's how it all started and then uh, and in 2020 i met rajan and then we started doing more research and rajan was interested in doing it in a more formal way so i think i that that really helped me also uh, to formalize because until then we had done all done all of us had done our own backtest and done you know okay it works it doesn't work and people would say it's curve fitted and this and that and all of that kind of stuff so all those doubts used to be there but once i went through that process with rajan again uh, in 2020 21 Uh, then you know it was obviously it was uh, it was very clear to me that you know this kind of uh, investing also works in india and uh, india is not different india is not different from we don't come from a different planet our stock market does not come from a different planet or something all those strategies and all those uh, things if you stick with it if it's constructed scientifically uh, if it's done properly if you and most importantly you follow it in especially through the tough times i think what people cannot replicate is uh, your conviction and you they can't replicate uh, i mean i can like manish can give his strategy 
uh, you can give a strategy i can give my strategy and we can just put it out tomorrow but people will not have the conviction to follow it through unless you have been through it uh, four or five years and uh, learned and you are able to follow it uh, in those in, especially in the tough times uh, so yeah so you know that's how the whole uh, journey has been till now and i think it's it's a lot more is yet to come a little more on this anish uh, i wanted to dig deeper on this transformation from fundamental to quant uh, how acceptable were you when you actually did that i mean uh, your colleagues i'll just also add the same question so i want i noted down that question for myself uh, you know so when you when you answer manish questions just add some perspective about how and what you were doing when you were approaching the companies purely from a fundamentalist perspective so before your uh, canslim days or factor investing days uh, what was your process of picking up stocks because what you mentioned was your problem of selling or not able to buy or hold for a long period of time for outsized return uh, but you probably seem to be comfortable with your buying process in general correct so so what was your process then and then when you moved from there to canslim what shift or canslim or whatever you know what your next step was what shifted so that might be a good transition to understand sure, sure. so that's a good so the the process again was uh, fairly uh, you know simple uh, that that uh, we used to be a group of friends and we used to share uh, investing ideas and then we would look at companies with uh, growth you know same same process looking at roe looking at the margins looking at the whether the sector is in uh, focus or not uh so the same uh, you know analysis that all uh, fundamental investors do today and then it's basically it was basically top down that you come across an idea you research it you you do all the uh, number crunching and then if you if if you feel that this is an investable idea uh, and that companies in that sector are looking to do well uh then you start uh, you know buying start with a small position start tracking that company and then once uh, you know you see your thesis playing out you keep on adding uh, more and more to that and start building your portfolio that way so we were looking at the same uh, you know same things uh, you know the sector is attractive how large is the market uh, you know how uh, how is the promoter uh, what is the reading the you know call transcripts seeing what the promoter has said was and what he's done uh, so all those kind of things uh, that you know what fundamental investors do that 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 simply was our process and uh, and that's how uh, you know that's how i used to do it uh, as i was investing my own money and obviously when i was uh, doing private equity it was much more rigorous because you do uh, market studies you do a very thorough financial due diligence of the company's past you go, you go sometimes you go forensic also so you know trying to understand if uh, there is something uh, that if something is suspicious then you do try and do the forensic audit so all those tools were there in my arsenal and uh, and you know that uh, coming to manish's question that was a bit of a stumbling block in my transition because i had a lot of these preconceived notions about that that you know yeah i've i've spent about 10 years a decade almost learning all of these things and now suddenly what i'm discovering is that i can do without it you know i don't really need to do all of that and then then i that's how i came across canslim and i said okay yeah this is a good mix this is a good night because it's making use of my fundamental background as well as you know my new found knowledge of uh, 
uh, quantitative investing or systematic investing. So this is a good uh, blend of the two. And that's, uh, that's how I felt comfortable then doing that because I still didn't want to let go of my fundamental uh, background. So Cancelum was, you know, you're taking current earnings, you're taking annual earnings, you're looking for a catalyst, which is something new. You're looking at whether the company is a leader in the sector or not. Uh, you're looking at whether there's institutional buying uh, in the company or not. And the third last one is whether the market is in an uptrend or not. And that's when you buy. So, you know, it, it sort of was a perfect sort of uh, model uh, for me to say, use my previous experience as a fundamental uh, investor, along with uh, making it in a more systematic uh, manner. But yeah, it was, it was very tough early on to, uh, uh, even now, sometimes, uh, you know, I, uh, when I had to buy, uh, say, there is some railway stocks recently, or I had to buy uh, some, say, PSUs, uh, which came in, in the momentum uh, system. Uh, even maybe four years ago, it would have been very tough. Now I just, it's, it's now it's not uh, so tough, right? Because, uh, you know, we whatever comes up in the system, we, we position size, send it to the dealer, the dealer sends it to the broker, and we just execute now now execution is not really a problem but yeah until four five years ago it it's it really was a barrier like i said it's you have to change a lot of your beliefs you have to change a lot of uh you have to even go through that process you can't you can't uh, change overnight you know it's it's very tough so uh anish i'll i'll formally come to your selection mechanism portfolio management style etc in later in the podcast but to just to you know get a maybe a side thing from what you just said, uh, can you also briefly explain how do you tackle? And it's a very common question which comes to people who do not do more data centric work and do more qualitative work. Uh, a common argument is that there are many subtle or not so subtle but very important qualitative factors which are extremely difficult to convert into uh, either a number, fair point, and uh, and the second thing which they always say is, uh, if you don't do that, you are always running the risk of not doing the entire research of the company properly. So you will miss a lot of things which are important for the company. Uh, does yeah. that bother you? And if it did bother you, how did you, you know, how did you tackle this issue at all? Or later on, you realize probably that's not an issue. Whatever, whatever your point is on this. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, you know, one other thing that I should mention that I, I, I was and I still am a Warren Buffett fanboy. So, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's the ultimate guy out there. And uh, as people have gotten that, that I think what you're mentioning in, in, in that world is called scuttlebutt, that if you've gone there, seen the company, seen the factory, have you spoken to people, have you done your channel checks, have you done all of that work? Uh, but, not only uh, that, but even the, yeah. you know, even the nuances Met, to accounting, which the management cannot be. Oh, no. yeah. So, yeah, all those are there. Also, so management factor is one, which is very difficult to quantify as people. I mean, I don't agree with those things, but I'll come to my view later on. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. want your point of view on that. Uh, so management quality, people say it's not very quantifiable, but it's extremely critical. Uh, channel checks, etc., as you rightly pointed out. And then there are nuances to numbers themselves, which are very okay. difficult to find out for which, which people spend a lot of time on the accounting policies of the firm, you know, related party transactions and, uh, and, and the things which are definitely not, not quantifiably yes or no, 
but are gray areas which are often found in the hidden notes etc and which does add to certain risk factors or or positive factors which otherwise are missed when you look at things quantitatively so i'm talking about those also not just the uh, channel checks yeah. go ahead yeah and and while you answer that uh, uh, let me add another twist to this you know i was having this conversation with uh, manoj dua and he actually alluded to the same point he said yaar i need to do this back test of your quant factors what kind of extra excess alpha i am getting over and above you otherwise itni mehnat karne ka fayda hi kya hai agar khali ye char line ka code likh likh ke hi wahi return aani hai to yeah please anish go ahead yeah so you know what you've said is is correct and uh, there can be certain nuances that are there now but uh, how, how much are they worth is it worth your time to sort of get into that and that is a fairly debatable question and i do know that there are a number of fundamental investors now today who who sort of go out there and accept that and they say also that you know we don't need management we don't we don't want to meet management because it's like uh, you know uh, meeting a boy or girl on a date or meeting somebody uh, for a for a for a marriage proposal everybody is going to be on their best behavior nobody is going to tell you anything no you will never meet a promoter who is telling you something which you don't want to hear so and i realized that in my private equity career ki i you don't get anything from and other than understanding the business and all of that you don't get any major you know clue of how it's going to work out and what it's going to be now i'll give you an example uh, there is this uh, uh, textile company in the south uh, making children's wear and uh, that came into the cancellum model very early on uh and we bought that company we we rode it up then there is a, a academic uh, value investor from your city who also uh, liked that company a lot and he wrote about it and he said that you know it's a you know i i label him as one of the best investors and you know he's an intelligent fanatic and uh, things like that however uh, there was one issue with the company that they always had a cash balance of something on their on their books which they claimed was overseas and uh, and that uh, they had also had debt on the books so in every conference call they used to get asked that boss why aren't you getting the money back and why don't you just set it off and get your uh, you know debt to zero why are you paying interest so they they would uh, you know hem and haw and say that okay no no you know we'll get it later and you know we are trying to sort of with the dollars going to depreciate then the story changes to we are setting up something in the us uh, as a subsidiary so we need money to spend on marketing there and blah blah blah, blah. but by that time i al- already had an exit uh, mechanism in place uh, a quantifiable exit mechanism and at some point in time the price started giving me signs that okay you know this stock is going down and i exited and and after that Uh, after i exited the price went down 50 to 60% down more on this premise alone which was known to everybody that you know there is cash on the books there is debt on the books but this guy is not getting the money back for the last 2 years and uh, earlier people did not know but and even i did not need to know it but because at that time i still had my fundamental uh, thing 
you know that i would look at the accounts and i would read the analyst reports and all of that so i knew that okay you know ye issue hai ye matlab ki there is something not not smelling right but okay price is going up it's come in my filter worst case what will go wrong if you take a 5% position so we took a 5% position and and uh, but then that stock price crashed ultimately when they found out that uh, you know that is the market stopped believing basically what the promoter was saying so you know there is this great richard dennis quote which says that you know at, at first i thought intelligence was reality and price the appearance but after a while i saw that price was the reality and intelligence is the appearance so what we said in india in a very common way bhav bhagwan ji like you know there is a, there is a so prices sense a lot of things in advance and i have seen this now uh, in many companies there was this housing house building products company people said it would become the home home depot of india home depot of india it will become <laughs> and we also had bought that company and we exited after that again when the when the fancy went away it fell down another 70 80% so i said what what are all these people you know smoking and you know how do you get that belief that uh, that you know to overlook i don't i certainly don't possess that and i think that price is more intelligent and you know as a fundamental investor you are taught that the market is wrong you are right and one day the market will catch up with you whereas as a as a systematic investor you are saying the market is right i i am reacting to what is happening and i am uh, going to go along with with what is uh, there is the present moment and i think that is the biggest mind shift that one has to make and that because once you give away that power to the market people are saying so what are you doing then right so what value are you adding or what value are you uh, bringing to the table and that's i think that's where people get that wrong that uh, you know that if you've done all these all this analysis all this thing but if you still don't have a good exit mechanism somebody like warren buffett has it you know he read ibm reports for 50 years 50 years he said i read ibm reports he bought it he went wrong and he exited in 2 years he was out of it. no no emotion he bought airlines first time then he said you know they should have a, a helpline for some people like me who can't but stop help but investing in airlines he exited and, and again during covid he again he had a large position in airline again overnight within two months he sold all his airline stocks and all of that no emotion at all but people don't i think most uh, most people fail to see that part of his uh, investing process they all focus on what he bought what he is holding uh but they don't focus on what how he sold off all his laggards and i think that is something which uh, which is very hard for fundamental investors to right so anish let's now you know bring a bit more uh, concreteness to the working style the investment philosophy so broadly broadly i think the audience would have understood your style by now let's get into the actual workings and go from there uh so you know generally we break down into three parts so let's start with the stock selection uh, before that uh, if if i can understand how do you look at a portfolio because you are into pms so when you say you manage a portfolio uh, 
uh, how do you either differentiate different types of portfolios or you try to manage one portfolio and bring in whatever you understand into that portfolio how do you how do you look at a portfolio and how do you construct a portfolio and and while you're answering that anish also yeah. give it a framework as to uh, what's the overview strategy that you follow because i'm pretty sure uh, audience must not not have picked it up as yet because we associate you with momentum maybe uh, there is conservative formula or yeah. what is it that you do right uh, so the so currently you know where we have uh, arrived and i have arrived in my journey today is uh, we broadly follow what is called factor investing now factor investing in that sense is uh, very similar to in, in fundamental investing is that you are looking at investment styles per se so you so one value is fact uh, you know the first uh, factor which was uh, discovered or sort of proposed by academics french and farmer was the value factor in 1992 uh this is that buying cheaper a portfolio of cheap companies does better than buying a portfolio of uh, expensive companies over a period of time incidentally along the same year uh, that jagdish and treatment came with their momentum factor which said that companies that have done well in the past uh, you know they tested 3 to 12 months continue to do well in the in the foreseeable future and uh, companies that have not done well they continue to not to let trend trends the momentum sort of continues uh, the third one is uh, quality where which you say that buying quality companies which have high return on equity or have high uh, gross profit margins or uh, they have high return on capital employed those type of companies do better than companies with low roes or low rocs or low uh, low margins and typically these companies tend to come from more stable sort of industries so so these are the three four factors and then there is the fourth factor called low volatility it's still, still somewhere between an anomaly or a factor which uh, again is a little bit contrary to the capital asset pricing model where it says that you know high beta uh, if a beta of a company is high that means its expected return should also be high but in reality it does not turn out to be so it turns out that companies with low volatility turn out to be uh, uh, much better over the long run than companies with high volatility and uh, today now we have all have you know data on all of this uh, the nsca has indices on most of these factors they have the process laid down and they have the uh, you know the methodology so that's how we look at it and then then what we want to do is that uh, the first one that i started off with was uh, like manish rightly mentioned you know, you know associate uh, me with momentum uh so we started off our first portfolio with uh, you know the canslim model was was actually to uh, buy companies with high relative strength which is nothing but momentum but and with good fundamentals which is where you are seeing uh, you know a good growth in uh, profits or a good spurt in profits over the last quarter and the last year now uh, what i found in my research as i was going along that somehow this spot in growth is sensed by prices also i have not come across companies which uh, have done well over a period of time maybe you know there are companies that we have held on for a couple of years also and uh, it's not been a case where the fundamentals have not supported it it's it hasn't happened except in very few cases but most of the time the fundamentals also support the price momentum so somehow i i 
uh, when we went back and saw those companies, we said that, okay, you know, you don't need to add in an additional factor, right? Because it, it again complicates things. And, uh, and being an accountant, again, I, I know the challenges with uh, taking accounting information and making it standard across industries or making it or making adjustments to it, one-time adjustments and things like that. And I said, if, I can, if you can make it simpler with price, and build in those safeguards there. Why do you want to add additional factors? So we we took momentum and we took low volatility, and uh, you know that's how we came up with our first portfolio, uh, which is called Alphabet. So and, earlier, uh, just to paraphrase, you were earlier looking at uh, not the balance sheet, just the earnings and the price, and later uh, you graduated to figure out that this is, uh, anyways, uh, not uh, covering. Just the price is covering all the basis, so you discarded the earnings part of it, and again, no, yes. low volatility. Correct, and uh, uh, you know, again, again, recently we've started looking at price, but we're looking at uh, sorry, looking at earnings, but we are looking at earnings acceleration, and you know whether that gives us any additional information uh, in in certain cases. Uh, so we are seeing if that that can help, but uh, what I'm seeing so far is that. Uh, you know, it is, it's not going to change things majorly, but it's good to have. It may help us to sort of uh, filter out some companies which are not uh, kosher or not perhaps not going to do well. So, is there an additional filter that we can add? But uh, we're still working on that on earnings acceleration. So, so yeah, you're right. So, you know, we we said that okay, you know, we look, we are looking at all these companies. We saw a portfolio and, and most of the, those companies were doing uh, well fundamentally also. So we said, let's make it a uh, little bit more simpler and not to complicate things because then you would look for one-time items. You you look for why has this suddenly grown? Why has this suddenly fallen off? Why has growth suddenly fallen off and things like that? So we started with momentum and low volatility and uh, that's the first portfolio that we started off with. Uh, However, the momentum also comes a little bit with high churn and uh, and we said that uh, that that's a good satellite portfolio to have for most investors. Now, uh, one of the like, you know, the free lunches in investing is diversification. And similarly, you can also diversify diversify among factors because even factors are cyclical, not momentum does not mean as Munish will know, uh, and as you will also know that, you know, they don't, just, just because it's momentum does not mean it's, it's going to work all the time. We've gone through horrible periods in 18, 19, when it was completely sideways. Uh, even last year, we went through that period when uh, momentum was sideways. And then suddenly in March, April of this year, again, suddenly momentum, mid-cap momentum, especially picked up. So it goes through its uh, phases. It goes through its cycles. So then we said that, okay, you know, is there something we can offer to investors uh, which will give them some sort of diversification as well as uh, the benefit of momentum. And that's where I came across uh, this uh, paper written by Pim and Fleet of uh, Rubeco called the conservative formula, uh, which takes into account momentum, low volatility and value. Now, uh, most studies uh, in the US uh, and in the rest of the world, as well as India, you know, the paper that I wrote with Rajan called the long only factors, uh, not short change. We also found that uh, value and momentum have the lowest correlation. And they also, uh, in, in some cases, it also has negative correlation. So when value is working, momentum 
is not working and when momentum is working value is not working so so if you sort of blend those two together your ride can be a little bit more uh, smoother yeah it can be a little bit more smoother plus it's a uh, you know it's it's also easier for to explain to people when you explain value because they are used to that kind of uh, narrative uh, when you talk value is sabko samajh mein aata hai yeah you're buying something that is worth less than you're paying for you're paying something that is and what it is worth uh, less than so value everybody understands uh, momentum they understand okay now you are now a lot of investors are understanding momentum that okay you know you're buying what is doing well and when you add that so we said that okay you know we we are looking building a core portfolio which uh, which will not be uh, as high churn as momentum uh, because values signals tend to uh, take a slightly longer term than momentum signals and we are getting a little bit technical here but momentum signals will sort of you know you need to have a faster rebalance than value uh, portfolios so uh, so we said that okay you know this is this churn is also not too much and it's also giving diversification so we came up with uh, with the we test we tested the conservative formula for uh, indian stocks and we found that surprisingly Uh, it's, it did extremely well. Stoic Talks has been partnered by DSP Mutual Fund, which was an obvious choice for us, having worked with the DSP team earlier and recognizing how they are obsessed with helping investors take better decisions. Some examples of their motivation to help investors do better. are visible in their research related work uh, which they make available for free including getting smarter tatya report card their invest for good blog among others we thank team dsp for supporting this episode of stoic talks and recommend that you follow them on twitter at dspmf so arish just a second i'm sorry to interrupt you again you know uh it's very important for audience for our audience to know what conservative formula is uh yeah. i'll let you talk about that but before you do that let me bring the base uh i was just going through the numbers this pim van vliet uh the guy who did this back test on the us stocks the conservative formula has been so awesome that it produced an annualized return of 15.1% over the period of and it's a big long back test starting from january 1929 to december 2016 basically covers all the phases of the market now this is significantly outperforming the us market index by 5.8% per year and they also then did this back test on other countries as well and the and the outperformance in japan and other countries was even more stark so uh, please go ahead and walk us through the indian side of the back test yeah so you know when we uh, started looking at so i had done uh, a you know a sort of a rough back test of this and i i found that it does work but i was finding it a little bit difficult to get uh, reliable data going back all the way to uh, i had done it for a decade and i we, i wanted to do it for a little bit longer period <clears throat> so again i spoke to rajan about it and he said yeah yeah let's see let's let's try it out i also i am also intrigued by you know what what the results will be and uh, that's how we we tested the the conservative formula so conservative formula is fairly simple 
what it does is it takes uh, you know you take a universe of say thousand stocks uh, the original formula then you take the uh, three year volatility and you sort it from low volatility to high volatility then you take the top 300 stocks ranked by low volatility and in that uh, universe of 300 stocks you calculate the momentum uh, of that universe stocks in that universe and you calculate the dividend yield of that universe actually you take shareholder yield which is dividend yield plus the buyback yield because in the us a lot of buybacks also happen so dividend yield plus buyback yield which gives you shareholder yield and uh, that's a proxy for value uh, globally and uh, so you take uh, so in that universe of uh, 300 stocks then you rank it uh, you double sort it by for momentum and and value and you buy the top uh, hundred fifty or hundred stocks. So we tested it in a on buckets of thirty, fifty, and hundred, thirty, sixty, and hundred stocks. Um, and uh, and we reval and you rebalance it quarterly. So it's uh, something that you know it, it's it's not very high churn. And this was equivalent. This was equivalent. Yes. So so we ran that backtest all the way from two thousand six uh, to two thousand twenty two. And uh, we found that you know even that does uh, pretty well uh, in India. And uh, in the in the momentum portfolio, we we were focusing more on the mid and small caps because uh, we didn't we didn't think there is too much place for momentum in the large caps. But to get and but this portfolio does very well even with large caps. So so with this we can give clients exposure to large caps. And that can be a core portfolio for them, and we can add uh, the momentum portfolio as a satellite portfolio as an allocation, a separate allocation. So that's how we then started with uh, you know this uh, core equity based on the conservative formula. Uh, Pim Van Fleet himself was kind enough to review the studies uh, for India, uh, and you know he he went through the studies and he he is he was quite happy and is uh, not surprised, but uh, he said yeah it's it gives me. Uh, validation of you know one more country uh, that it works it's it's a universal thing it, it's not just a european thing or it's not just a us thing or it's not a developed market thing but yeah uh, in fact uh, in fact when i uh, did a wikipedia search of conservative formula uh, your paper is also cited in there yes, yes, yes india example yes it's been added in the conservative formula wikipedia page so so you know so that I think that's also given me a lot of confidence to follow the strategies that you know now we've done it. One of the things that uh, you know one of uh, and I'm sure you also know that uh, are uh, I look up to these people at Alpha Architect and everything that they do is is backed up pretty scientifically by uh, data, by processes, by uh, because ultimately if you're doing you know one of the reasons also I started with the PMS like I said was. Uh, it also inculcated a sense of discipline when you are doing it with your own money. Sometimes you can get a little bit, uh, you know, not following the process, or you can be take a little bit more leeway. But when you have third-party money, when you are managing somebody else's money, that makes you much more careful. It makes you much more disciplined, and uh, you have fiduciary responsibility. So you know you want to do it uh, in in a as as scientifically as possible. And and plus, since this was something new. Uh, if, uh, for people in India, so you know, they, they, it was not an accepted norm to do something quantitative. Of course, today now, 
even fundamental investors are coming out with quant portfolios and uh, and their quant portfolios are outdoing their fundamental portfolios surprise surprise so so you know so the, so uh, that's how we started with uh, with the core, with the conservative formula and uh, core equity it's been about a year and uh, i keep tracking you know how uh, how it's doing vis-a-vis the back test we keep extending the back test and uh, it's doing in line with that and we've systematized the whole process and uh, now it's uh, fairly uh, you know easy to run it on a quarterly basis so it's equivate and quarterly rebalance did i get that correct yeah yeah Okay, so Anish, uh, I'll just now I'll just take that and delve a bit deeper into it, right? So, uh, so from what I understand, you have one portfolio, and that one portfolio is primarily broken down into it's a two parts, right? One being the core part and one being the satellite part. Is that a fair understanding, or you have two different offerings? We have two different offerings because some people may want to uh, just. take exposure to the core part and not do not want the high churn part some people are saying that okay you know you we yours are money you do the allocation how you want to do it so we've kept the both both of them separately as a, so that you can also track the performance separately of both the portfolios you know what's working at some point in time so we've kept both of them uh, separate and they are both separate offerings got it so uh, now so let's also because you are trying to do core and satellite from the vantage point of diversification because as you said uh, core is more uh, value and uh, i think you are doing the conservative formula in the core right yeah, yeah. Uh, and the satellite is more focused towards the momentum and the low ball uh, low ball working now uh, uh, and and you're saying there's a diversification benefit to these these two right. working together right so right. when you do that uh, how do you maintain so let's say if the client comes to you Uh, is the proportion that goes to core and the proportion that goes to satellite if the decision is left up to you uh, does that change over a period of time is it like a fixed proportion does the market condition decides how much goes into core and how much goes into satellite just run us through the allocation at the top level not among the stocks but at the top level how do you decide how much money should go into what so typically you know we 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 explain both our offerings to the clients, and we uh, we explain how both of them work, and uh, what are the broad returns that both have delivered, and what kind of uh, returns one can sort of uh, has one has generated in the past. But uh, the allocation again comes down to you know it's it's a lot of driven by client preferences, and uh, it's driven by where they are in their in their a journey as an investor and uh, so sometimes so like for example one client who's come to us already has a portfolio of mutual funds and uh, you know has index funds at the core and he's saying look i'm just looking to add to my uh, current core portfolio of uh, index funds and the like and i want to add uh, a momentum that the way that you are doing it. so for him we we are just giving him the full exposure to the uh, momentum alphabet portfolio uh somebody else who's yeah yeah let me remove that uh for component all together okay so let me rephrase the question let's assume the client let's remove the client preference from the equation because the okay. interest is more into the combination of these two strategies together right uh imagine that you have a free hand and the objective is to maximize the risk adjusted return which everybody is trying to do uh, with that objective how these two strategies will work together over a period of time over different market cycles uh how do you think about that part 
remo- let's remove the individual preferences yeah so in that sense you know it it uh, it again uh, they over cycles they will not be very different but uh, but during this journey during the cycle i think that's where the real uh, you know what what the client will experience because it's very important for them for the first one or two years are very important for a client you don't want them to experience uh, a big jolt or you don't want them to you know have a bad experience so even even when today when a client comes we don't follow the approach of taking the money and allocating directly to what we are holding we take time to build even if it's let's say let's say it's one offering core uh, alphabets which is momentum and if somebody comes with a, comes and invests 50 lakhs with us so we will not just go out today and buy what is there because i may have a stock in that there which has gone up like four times and uh, you know and and from a risk reward uh, uh, you know perspective it does not make sense for the client to for me to put that money there because somewhere we know from experience and also from uh, having seen it that you know this is going to sort of give some pain down the line so we tell them that look we will take 6 months to build your portfolio whether it's the momentum portfolio uh, whether it's a core equity portfolio we will do it in parts unless it's very attractive and if you get a market fall or something of that sort so then we will say that okay you know we'll deploy it uh, we'll deploy it uh, more aggressively otherwise we will just take 5 to 6 months to sort of construct that portfolio and then to when when it comes to allocating we we can allocate uh, we start with 50 50 saying that okay you know allocate half to your where there is value dominate value is dominating and allocate half here to where momentum is dominating and then uh, and then uh, take it from there and then we uh, sort of start adding and that's also how my own portfolio is uh, you know again broken up so that's i mean that that's something asset allocation or portfolio allocation something even uh, paul samuelson who came up with the efficient frontier uh, or you know benjamin graham who said that after everything considered he just went equal weight equal weight turns out to be much simpler and uh, you know all these risk adjusted returns and all of that client at the end of the day they just care about returns so saying risk is something that you have to manage you tell me what is good for returns and uh, you know uh, how will i uh, go along with that but yeah if uh, obviously if it's a client who is uh, who i know is not perhaps going to be able to stick to a high churn portfolio and and they have then perhaps for them we would recommend uh, something slightly lower but if it's a, if i am given a free hand and i am told that uh, you know you would you just take the money and and there are clients like that you know who are friends and family they said you we don't understand what you are doing but we know we trust you so just take the money and do whatever you want to do with it uh, in the sense that you you take care of the allocation and uh, we are okay with, uh, with broadly that so even if you see in the paper the you know the conservative formula perhaps give a return of something like 20 to 22% over over a long long period uh, whereas the sharp based momentum or the risk adjusted momentum or momentum with volatility whatever you want to call it all different versions of it gives similar sort of uh, return over the long run but it has slightly slight amount of high churn and then uh you know you can have options to go to cash during uh, some point in time that is a big difference and a big uh, differentiation for us versus a, another offering like a mutual fund which cannot go to cash which cannot do certain things that a we as a pms or an eif can do 
so there uh, we rec- we say that look we built in the guardrails we built in all of that so uh, we'll try and have a smooth enough experience as much as possible but uh, it's good for you to have exposure to both these because it takes care uh, both at the market cap level that you have exposure to large caps and mid caps and here you have exposure to mid and small caps and you have exposure to different factors like value and momentum which are sort of uh, very have very uh, low correlation with each other so at one when one is uh, zigging the other is zagging and and vice versa so uh, to begin with yeah 50 50 is good enough to start uh, have you done any work on uh, probably calculating the uncorrelation between the two portfolios uh you mean to say the the correlation your, co- your two offering yeah. benefit of it so basically the correlation factor how how negative it is if it is negative Yeah, yeah. So it's there in my, uh, it's there in the paper, because see, when uh, uh, one thing which again, you know, I, I don't want to make it again very technical for the for the listeners, because a long short portfolio will have a much lower correlation than a long only portfolio, because a long only portfolio, a lot of it is, uh, you know, has market exposure. so so there yeah, the correlate the correlation uh, tends to be uh, fairly high between the uh, you know between the uh, long only portfolios so uh, you know a long only portfolio of say uh, uh, you know momentum will uh, along with a to value has a correlation of around 0.6 right and uh, and that uh, same uh, value portfolio along with the market has a correlation of something like 0.9 so you know that in terms of uh, in terms of correlation comes down to uh, you know much lower but if you look at uh, the uh, long short portfolios the correlation is almost uh, you know 0.1 to sometimes negative wow Yeah, so it's fair to say that the two offerings that you have are basically catering to different target audience based on the kind of churn they are willing to take. Yeah, different. I mean, you know how open they are, how how uh, you know how they want to. Uh, because ultimately, in the PMS offering, you still have to do it in the client portfolio. So, you know, they want to look at their tax status. Tax is a is a comes up as a point sometimes. So uh, one where you have the low churn. Uh, sometimes people want to go with that, but so some people who are coming to us for diversification, they they want to go completely for the momentum part. Okay, great. I, I'll just build on that same question which I asked earlier. Uh, most of so you said equal weighted is the way to go. Uh, will there be a scenario, or in your backtest, or you know, whenever you have backtested, have you backtested a fifty-fifty across the board at all the rebalancing frequencies? uh so you you must have tested both together also right or you just tested the individual strategies separately and then you know to combine a portfolio to make it or is there also a backtest which combines the two together from a right. um, allocation perspective so you talking about to... how yeah so that's how we came up with the correlation right the the correlation between value and uh, Uh, and no, no, I'm saying the performance of a 50 50% to both these two portfolios something of that sort Okay, performance of uh, both. So the performance will not be very different. 
the performance will 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 be different say over shorter cycles or maybe over a three year period sometimes you know if momentum has done uh, extremely well and we've had very short cycles uh, then there can be a big big gap in uh, but now uh, you know uh, value for example value started doing extremely well from november 2020 when the vaccine was announced for whatever reason that you know the and value tends to have more economically sensitive economic sensitive stocks stocks which are more sensitive to the to the economy more cyclical stocks so things like and now you're seeing this whole theme play out right you know defense and psus and uh, psu banks and uh, oil sensitives uh, interest rate sensitive so all those uh, and the value factor while long only value portfolio has outperformed uh, uh, you know or has done almost equal to a momentum portfolio whereas prior to 2020 value was giving a return of say 9-10% versus a momentum portfolio was giving a return of 18% but now in the last 3-4 years it's almost come uh, you know very close to uh, each other so over a long period like if you're talking 20-25 years I expect that you know it's it's not that uh, these these will diverge very widely but uh, you know if you see the uh, data also now there's another way to look at it, is the odds of underperformance uh, versus a benchmark and in this book called uh, you know factor investing by larry swedro uh, your guide to factor investing so he looks at the odds of underperformance of each factor over uh, say a five-year period or a seven-year period or a ten-year period and uh, and not surprisingly momentum has the has the uh, lowest odds of underperformance so, so over a 10-year period it's almost 99 percent sure that momentum will not underperform the benchmark versus for values it's i think if i'm not wrong it's something like 80 percent so uh, so you know, so value may may tend to underperform uh, sometimes, but momentum is is perhaps one of the strongest factors out there. It is far more robust and stronger than uh, than uh, most other factors which has been found in data. Uh, so so yeah, so I think uh, I don't know if that answers your question, uh, you know, completely. But I would say that in terms of uh, expected returns going forward from here. Uh, over a long cycle of five to ten years, you may. Uh, my preference, my uh, you know, gut feel would be that perhaps sometimes you know momentum will do better. But uh, if but everybody is not out there, you know, surprisingly for just uh, getting the best return there. Some uh, some people who made their money, they are like, boss, just take care of the money and make sure it grows. And uh, some people who are young enough and they want to take the risk, they want uh, the highest return. So sometimes even objectives come to play. So Anish, uh, so yeah, I will not drag this point a lot further, but yeah. I'll just add one more question because I just need one more clarity from the way you think about this particular flow of money from a return maximization perspective. If you have to think about that, okay, will there be a time when you would probably take the money out of the core and shift more towards the satellite or vice versa or you always think that you know you will always have uh, enough uh, enough to keep i mean you'll do 50 50 both and if the if the opportunities are not there in value you'll probably go to cash in the value on the side 
and if the opportunity yeah. is not there in the satellite, you'll probably go into cash into. So, so how do you think about this part, or will the cash maker dif- cash maker flow from this to this satellite? I mean, this to the strategy. Yeah. So you know, factor timing is something which I keep having a discussion with many people about. With Rajan also, we keep discussing it, and he says, if you find something, please tell me about it. And uh, even uh, you know, the one of the original quants, Cliff Asness, he talks a lot about factor timing. Can you time factors? Uh, now. Um, also there's you know again you can get into more esoteric and meta discussions whether whether uh, momentum is a factor by itself or momentum is the reason that drives all the factors that you know is there momentum in factors also so then the other way to time try to time is valuation that you know is is there a big spread in valuation between the growth stocks and the value stocks and sometimes you can see that okay if there's a big spread and it's going to Mean revert and correct itself, then probably go towards more allocate more to the value uh, part of your portfolio and less towards the other part, the momentum part. And uh, however, uh, even Cliff Fastness says that uh, you know it's it's very difficult to time. It's very difficult to say. Uh, I mean, they've been saying for the longest time to allocate more and more to value and uh, uh, the value put value factor. When I say value factor, I mean long shot. Has had a horrible decade from 2010-11 onwards, when you know QE started and uh, and interest rates started going down, uh, and uh, from 2020 onwards it started recovering a little bit. Uh, so it's it's very hard to say. So, but he he does say that if you must sin, then sin a little. That if you if you feel that some factor is uh, more attractive, then okay, fine. You know, it's it's okay to take a slightly uh, higher allocation to that uh, to that factor to try and uh, see that if it has uh, uh, you know it has uh, it may give you a little bit more outperformance uh, in the long run. But overall, it's it's very very difficult to sort of try and uh, time something. I mean, within the factor, I can say that okay, you know, we are not seeing a lot of momentum in certain stock in the in the universe right now. Or say a situation like 2020 occurs, or a situation like 2008 occurs, where you know that it's an obvious situation that you can go to cash and redeploy later, where your system will just not give you buys. That's how we've configured it. Uh, but uh, those those sort of come maybe once in five years or once in a decade. Those obvious kind of uh, scenarios. But Anish, technically speaking, this is not really factor timing, particularly the portfolios you have because more or less both of them are same isn't it one is one has volatility and momentum the other has volatility momentum and value so the correlation yeah. is anyways pretty huge yeah but you know Manish, the way we sort it is it makes a big difference and also that one also has large caps so even that correlation keeps changing but the correlation between large caps mid caps and small caps for example in the last two two years uh, we are, I think in September 2021, we were at around 18,250. Today, we are at 19,050. Maybe, you know, 5-6% higher. Whereas, mid-caps mid caps are much, much higher than that. So, even that rotation between 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 market caps keeps happening. So, that also gives another sort of diversification. And uh, so, that, uh, so we've, uh, you know, uh, we've purposely designed it that way so that you get exposure to different uh, market caps as well as to different factors. Okay. So Anish, now now let's get into these two strategies separately. 
and get into a bit more nuanced discussion about uh, about uh, so we can start with the formation first right so in first case ultimately you have to do stock selection uh, and yeah. then you have to have so stock selection is going to be based on certain by rules uh, either at a stock level or at a ranking base or whatever mechanism you have uh, and then you will have the allocation rules around them and eventually you will have selling rules around them right so so run us through first for let's say either either of the two so let's start with let's say momentum and low wall and discuss how how you create the portfolio there and then we'll move to the next portfolio later on so let's start with the momentum and low wall and your approach to that so uh, you know in the momentum plus low wall uh, portfolio what we do is we take a universe of five, the top 500 stocks by market cap and we remove the top 100 stocks we take uh, 400 mid and small cap stocks in that we calculate uh, you know the uh, momentum score and the volatility score we take an average of the ranks and uh, take the top 20 stocks ranked by momentum and low volatility uh, we've tested it by taking momentum divided by volatility we've taken we've tested it for momentum multiplied by volatility which is andreas klinov's way of doing things he takes a sort of that approach uh what is pop, what uh, some of the uh, nsc indices take is one is the uh, you know the more, the returns over the last 12 months divided by the volatility of the last 12 months and uh, another one takes jensen's alpha which is the excess returns what is uh, expected using the capm model and the actual return that the stock has delivered so all these methods we've tested and we found that more or less they tend to you know give you the same returns again over a cycle but during a cycle all of them can have very different uh, performances the academic definition of uh, momentum that way does not include and has no mention of volatility at all but you know it's it's just pure returns but that uh, we tested that again in our paper and we found that it it, it is extremely volatile uh, that that kind of a portfolio and it does help to add uh, a volatility measure so whether you add it whether you divide by that uh, momentum returns by volatility and take it uh, we we did that in our uh, in our paper that that turned out to give the you know be the best performing in terms of sharp in terms of return as well as in terms of having the lowest volatility so just so to take, add to yeah. this can you also uh, define your look back period for the momentum and period, the volatility yeah. uh, when you're doing the ranking part Yeah, so our uh, look back period is a combination of uh, two look back periods. So we again, uh, sometimes uh, you know you can uh, if you are in a fast market, then th- sectors are rotating rotating very fast. You know, there's sector rotation happening very fast. So, uh, but sometimes you can have a longer uh, signal. So we take a combination of two look back periods, six and twelve uh, months. and we take com- and returns across uh, those two uh, two periods and uh, then take the returns uh, volatility of the last 12 months and uh, then do a combined ranking and uh, you know then take the top 20 stocks uh, uh, from that uh, from that universe and then start we start with equal weight so again we've experimented with uh, risk parity weighting which is again you know allocating most to the lowest volatility stock and allocating the lowest to the highest volatility stock in that portfolio it does not make too much of a difference um, 
<clears throat> to be honest and uh, so we've just gone with uh, you know equal weight because we found equal weight to be the most simpler to implement and uh, it's, all, it's also turned out to do better than the rest in the uh, results also so then uh, while we again you know look at it on a weekly basis we don't we don't get that kind of churn because of the look back periods are long enough so but but uh, uh, i am sort of intrigued and I, I keep i am looking for some sort of switch where uh, you know if i can figure out when the volatility regime is changing then i can i switch from a monthly rebalance to a weekly rebalance i am trying to do you know doing some work on that and i think that will reduce the churn a little bit more because uh, you know that that uh, i think uh, will will help in reducing the churn so i'm doing some work on that and i'm, I'm still experimenting to see if volatility can signal some sort of uh, change uh, incidentally the uh, you know the uh, i i got this it's not my own brain wave it's something that i i keep reading these uh, uh, prospectuses and uh, fund documents of these etfs in the us so mtum which is blackrock's momentum etf uh they have this methodology where uh, you know they rebalance once in 6 months but if the volatility crosses a certain threshold they calculate keep calculating the change in volatility not the actual volatility but the change in volatility so if this month it was 20 and the next month is it's 25 that means volatility has gone up by 25% like you know it's 5 it's gone up by 20 has gone to 25 or 20 has gone to say 30 or 20 has gone to 40 that means it's almost doubled in in one month that that somewhat signals can be turned turn out to be a decent indicator of a change in regime and if that happens sure they sort of trigger a mid period rebalance and they rebalance uh, their portfolio so i am looking at something uh, along those lines and i have i'm This is this is fascinating, Anish, because <clears throat> I know a lot of option sellers uh, in their strategy uh, use this particular factor to decide if they want to sit out the market or not. The yeah. volatility as a factor is a interesting giveaway of things to come. Correct. Yeah, it it does, and you know, in uh, I was actually even looking at some of the uh, other you know uh, Mark Faber. and gary antonacci dual momentum kind of strategies and and seeing that using volatility also could you generate some kind of similar signals and i found that you know you could do that and uh, you can also use volatility as one of the triggers to buy and sell but that's a very completely different discussion so you know maybe we'll park it for later but uh, but yeah so i am looking at something like that where you know we can move from uh, uh, weekly looking at it on a weekly basis only and only maybe shift from and do things on a monthly basis monthly i think is is optimal but weekly also we don't get so much churn because uh, we've designed it in such a way that uh, that you know we get we exit only if uh, we've given fair amount of leeway in the exit so it, if it falls below a certain rank then we exit or if it falls below certain certain standard deviations from its own uh, mean then we exit so there are two exit paths for a stock to walk and uh, if something goes out and uh, and then you know we replace it with uh, another stock which which takes its place 
so that's uh, you know that's broadly how the momentum plus low volatility portfolio works the core equity portfolio like i said you know is is a re- quarterly rebalance so there uh, it's explains the process that you take uh, we are be taking the top 300 stocks by low volatility out of the entire universe of stocks uh, bring it down to 300 uh, in instead of 100 stocks we because we thought 100 is is quite uh, wieldy to manage in a pms kind of setup you can do it in a uh, the mutual fund setup, but for a PMS kind of setup, uh, we we think 30 is is optimal. So we take the top 30 stocks by momentum and uh, value. Uh, incidentally, in India, you know, dividend yield and shareholder yield gives you more quality exposure than value exposure. And uh, we discussed this point with uh, Pim Van Fleet also, and he said that you're right. That you know, he found also that in certain countries, dividend yield is a measure of quality than of value. But even dividend yield also keeps changing its character. It sometimes gives you value exposure. It sometimes gives you quality exposure. So you know, that's a that's again a uh, an interesting uh, side topic that that came out of the whole analysis. So then, so again coming back to that, so we take the top thirty stocks which are. Uh, by uh, momentum and value from that universe of low volatility and uh, we then uh, rebalance it on a quarterly basis so every every quarter we sort of run the rebalance and and replace what is going out with you know what is coming in. i'm sorry i probably missed that part but uh, when you were saying low wall space how much was the first starting point 100 companies 300 300 so out of the total universe of 500 we bring it down to 300 yeah. and then out of the 300 then we take the top 30 on Based momentum, momentum and, and value okay so uh you know for 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 the benefit of the audience also let's just run through the value factors understanding because majority of the time it's a it's a confusing factor because the way it is defined quantitatively is usually absolute uh you know absolute valuation numbers right so yeah a one p is higher value compared to a 10 p i mean just to give you a right so so and it's it's doesn't really take the 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 company's fundamental in picture so just just for the benefit of the audience uh, define the way you are taking the value factor momentum factor is clear you are by the way, also just answer on the momentum side. Are you doing the same short and long six month, twelve months here also, or you're not doing that here? So here we are just taking twelve months. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So let's shift to the valuation value factor. So so value, you know, typically is uh, so in the original paper by Pharma and Friends, they took price to book as the uh, as the metric uh, because they thought that would be uh, common and the most standard uh, factor, which would be the same across. Uh, industries because banks it is pretty hard to value on a PE basis and uh, you know, it's, it's, or price to sales or anything. But uh, fundamentally, some some people when they are doing value and they want to exclude this uh, uh, financial sector, then then they take you know they want to exclude certain sectors. Then you can use any any other uh, value metric also. Uh, so price to anything fundamental metric price to any to earnings price to cash flow price to sales price to book any of these can be used uh, uh, as a proxy for valuation so so saying that okay you know we are trying to buy something that is cheap 
in value it's cheap uh, for uh, a reason and the the uh, you know the behavioral quirk that you are playing here is that it's uh, that the market has overreacted to something that is temporary that something has temporarily gone wrong with this company so it's fallen uh, below its its mean uh, of going up and then it will mean revert back to its original trend line so you are buying something cheaper than you know what it's actually worth it's because of overreaction by the market momentum is the exact opposite where the market is saying where you are where the behavioral anomaly or the quirk that you are sort of trying to exploit is that the market is underreacting to good news uh, because you know uh, say hdfc bank which for for the longest time every time every quarter it would come out with 20% like people would make jokes about it saying are they like you know got something in an excel sheet that every quarter and quarter they're coming out with 20% returns and over a period of time people start uh, sort of give paying lesser and lesser attention to that good news that is coming out and that causes a stock to sort of get undervalued to be temporarily undervalued and then it takes off from there value is the exact opposite something wrong or something uh, adverse has appeared about that company however that that adverse point is or that adverse event is not expected to have a long term impact on the performance of the company so that is available to you at a much cheaper price than what it's actually worth and that that is what you can measure by taking a fundamental metric like price to book uh, or price to sales or price to cash flow uh most uh, practitioners in you know in practice will you if they are doing only the value value factor and implementing it they will take a combination of these because that at various points in time uh different fact different proxies will be behaving differently and it gives you more diversification so you know so so no one will be doing uh, you know just price to book or just taking price to sales or just taking they will use a combination of um, another one that some people use is ev to ebitda also instead of using uh, because then it takes the capital structure out of the picture then you are just comparing based on uh, you know the enterprise value to the uh, earnings potential and so even that is taken uh, as a proxy and uh, there you are trying to buying against the same same concept that you are trying to buy something that is available to you uh, at a much lower price than what it is worth uh, but the conservative is just taking care of the dividend and the buyback right yeah yeah then there it's taking just one factor but there you're taking because you're taking a multi factor approach so in some sense you are covered but if you are implementing the value factor alone if you do the pure play value factor then you would perhaps want to take more than one uh, method of measurement hi friends i hope you are enjoying this particular episode i just want to take a minute and thanks the sponsors for this episode toy talks was built on a premise of actionable insights and detailed questioning and that usually requires the independence of doing that work when you're looking for somebody to partner with you are not only looking for somebody who will share your ethos but also will promote this independence of asking fearless questions without any hesitations so when we were looking for someone like that the obvious first choice for me was a dsp mutual fund 
I have known their team. I have worked with them for a long period of time. You know, they have this uh, tagline called hashtag invest for good, which I really like because it really associates which in my observation, I've seen them living this as the way of their life and which is very visible. If you if you follow their work uh, in public, they have done some excellent research efforts. They've come up with some amazing reports, which everybody enjoys reading. For example, they have this report called Netra. Uh, then there is the transcript, which talks about the call transcripts. Then there is the annual report, Nectar, the Navigator, and, and many such reports, which I enjoy reading and is enjoyed by many practitioners in the investment community. So we are extremely proud to be working with such a team. They completely agree with our vision for Stoic Talks. And I really want to thank them for supporting this particular episode. And if you aren't already, I would highly recommend you to uh, follow them on Twitter with their Twitter ID is at the rate DSPMF. So thanks once again and enjoy listening to this show. So uh, um, just because you have done a lot of work in this direction, probably studied a lot of literature here. Uh, are there variations to implementation of the value factor besides just the choice of the factor or the combination of factors? What I'm trying to ask is, so, I mean, it's, it's a very... It's a very commonsensical thing to say that something which is, let's say, constantly generating high ROE uh, will be always be available in the higher frame of price to book, right? It won't, yeah. uh, it will never fall at a cheap level or it won't be the, let's say, decile one. It will always be decile 10 or decile nine in terms of the price to book. Correct. Uh, Correct. Similarly, a company which is probably, uh, you know, loss making uh, or, or let's say very poor ROEs, will probably always be on the cheaper end of decile one, decile two of price to book, right? So uh, one way to normalize this is to have it linked together, like the performance, the performance characteristics of the company linked to the price to book and then do yeah. then do the valuation uh, with a vis-a-vis of fundamentals. The second way uh, could probably be, I'm just thinking, you know, while talking to you, could probably be based on the historical valuation and the gap from the historical valuation as the factor itself and not the absolute number of price to book. But let's say if the price to book is one and the average five year is 1.2, the 20% gap is there vis-a-vis for a company yeah. where the gap to average is, let's say, more or less. So is there some research or something, some 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 working on this direction you have studied or done or any other fact, any other way in which you have taken the approach to see the value factor? Yeah, so, you know, uh, one one different approach which uh, AQR or Cliff Asnes have come up with is, uh, so, in the original paper, the value factor was, uh, you know, the rebalance was done once a year. So, it's a 12-month rebalance. And, uh, however, they found that, uh, and that's what, and he calls it, uh, you know, the high minus low in, in academic parlance, they call it high minus low, high valuation and low valuation. Uh, uh, so, so they said that, you know, for the last 10 years, the value factor has stopped working at all because of whatever reason, which we don't know. Uh, and they, and numerous times uh, papers were written about how the value factor is dead and everything of that sort. What they went and did was they did a monthly rebalance of the value factor and they found it's, it's working. It's perfectly working as, as the way it should be working. And it's just that the signal was decaying much faster. 
so you should you should have had a shorter rebalance period so he called it hml devil so you know the devil is in the details that's that's what it came from and uh, and that one year rebalance is perhaps something uh, something very uh, very long in today's time and age where perhaps information is being disseminated you know very disseminated very fast or uh, people are reacting in much shorter cycles cycles have become much much shorter than they were you know before 2010 or 2008 for that matter so perhaps you know that's a little bit of a tweak uh the other different way to do it uh, uh you know a lot of people have heard of this uh, this is joel greenblatt's magic formula you know where he sort of combines uh value with quality and and uh, then that's a different approach again you know to to doing this uh then there is uh, tobias uh for what is the second name yeah yeah so he he does uh, he's he calls it the acquirers multiple so he's he's saying that okay you know i am looking at how carl i can would probably value companies and instead of taking price to earnings i'm taking ev to ebitda and he did the whole back test and uh, he is uh, also taking into some account quality and uh, he's he tried he also did a comparison with the magic formula and he found that uh, this his version of the acquirers multiple outperforms the magic formula uh, by by quite a bit so yes there is a, a, you know there are various variations that you one could suit themselves uh, and uh, you know again you have to be uh, you know we've discussed a lot about you know how the, the the implementation and the mechanics of how to implement a lot of these strategies but ultimately it is also about uh, you know is this something that you believe in and is this something that you are psychologically and mentally comfortable with with doing and i think the the difference really comes in there in terms of uh, implementation and in terms of results uh, that are you able to stick to it when times are hard or are you able or are you just you know just looking at a good back test and it's done well recently so you've jumped into it because then you will jump in and out at the wrong time or you will keep tweaking your uh, rules or you will keep and we've done and i've made all the mistakes it's you know that's not that you know we we'll not make mistakes but uh, <clears throat> over the long run do you really believe in it i think that is uh, and is your personality or and or is your uh, psyche in tune with with that or are you again going to get swayed by noise that uh, you know because sometimes people when you talk talk to them and you explain to them and you know what you're doing and they say oh so then what do you do the whole day and they let you know now abhi to sab computer is doing all the work na so then aap aap kya karte ho baki char din ya paise na whatever because the whole thing of a, a, you know if you're a fundamental value investor that you're sitting in your office reading all the annual reports or you're going out in meeting management or you're doing something you're busy all the time and you are uh, you know working all the time and you're thinking about it and all but if you've automated or if you've codified your process uh, then you know except for running it like 10 minutes a week what what are you doing rest of the time but even then vinish you know uh, there is a recency bias at play you know why because uh, there's a criticism of this conservative formula especially during the first quarter of 2020 uh, even the low volatility stocks cracked and so that broad yeah. protection was not there and as yeah. if as if that's not enough then the recovery rarely happened 
these low volatility stocks were not participating in that too so 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 you start asking your questions if if the strategy is correct or not yeah actually uh, you know i also read this uh, remind me where you read this because i read the same thing yesterday okay. so yesterday uh, but, in, i don't recall the exact uh, source but i have been doing research to uh, yeah, yeah. so i read the same thing in the last couple of days and uh, so i went and looked at the india low volatility index uh, i the low vol 30 uh, and i looked at the performance uh, since so actually in india we f- in 2020 march 2020 we the our low vol index fell much lower so the nifty fell say 27% by the month end and the low vol index fell 19% yeah th- yeah sure so this criticism is uh, on the us conservative formula yeah yeah no so at that i also found that very intriguing so i went and checked the india india numbers on that and i said that okay let me see uh, because i also read this somewhere in barons or in, uh, in fortune the last few days itself and uh, and uh, and after that also the you know the uh, Uh, the index has out the low vol index has outperformed the uh, uh, our uh, uh, nifty 50 or the nifty 500 i so i checked both of them so i think since the lows of march uh, the low vol index is up 70% and the nifty 50 was up some 60 uh, 58% so yeah so and and, and it fell 10% lesser than the uh, nifty 50 index got it uh anisha just one question on uh, you know a, a very common question because i again my process is even though i don't call it factor investing but i use a lot and lot of data and do back tests uh, on strategies and one common question which i keep on hearing uh which is fair to an extent and also depends on what you are strat- what you are testing but we see a lot of historical data available when we work with us markets and and the factors true strength or weaknesses gets exposed when looked at you know the entire cycle so yeah. even though we look at the xirs we also look at the length of time period for which a particular factor worked or didn't work and we get an estimate of you know um, if 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 past has to be guiding us we get the understanding of what can go wrong and for how long it can go wrong right so um, we don't have that luxury when we come to when we work with india data So yeah. just to give an example let's say quality factor did extremely well the last decade okay Correct. but we have seen the same phase happening in us quality factors uh, and we have then also have seen a huge non performance of the quality factor also and those kind of pictures become clear when you are working with that kind of data so how do you approach this or how do you mentally satisfy yourself when you are apt- because you are practically putting that money to use to this kind of strategy how do you deal with this uh, yourself yeah so so again the same thing like i said you know the diversification you have to have a multi factor approach to your portfolio or you have to be prepared for long periods of underperformance saying that uh, you know that underperformance and that period of the same reason that it does not work uh, all the time is that is the same reason is it is it because it works most of the time i mean if there is no pain in a in a certain strategy there is no premium for that strategy so uh, if no i'll i'll probably uh, probably there's a 
miscommunication i'm asking how okay. do you generate the confidence in your back test because eventually okay. you're going to use that in your working right so given that you yeah. have very limited data to back test on we have just 20 25 years of decent quality history uh, i mean price history may, we may still have a lot larger one but uh, yeah. fundamental history is even lesser so when we have Correct. only that kind of history how do you generate the confidence in your back test uh, uh, is was my question primarily okay so there are different yeah i think i got, i got that question so i think there are different ways you can do it one is to uh, see that you have a first principle and very scientific approach to what you're doing you know you have to be honest with that you can't be curve fitting or you can't be uh, just uh, optimizing and then and running it you know that's that's the worst thing that you can do second uh, you know if you even the data that is available for 20 years a lot of it also has survivorship bias a lot of it has uh, you know corporate actions not adjusted for or companies that have disappeared are not available uh so or uh, you know so how do you take care of that have you adjusted for that or not and uh, and until now we did not have that uh, you know that luxury uh so i am amdabad uh, you know i discovered much later that i am amdabad professors uh, jayant varma and sobesh agarwal were maintaining a pharma french database so the us they have it right from 1928 uh, 27 uh, but Uh, at least these professors have it from 1992 which is when the nifty was also in born and uh, so 30 years of data by people with you know with excellent academic pedigree and you know uh, who have done it who would have done it in a much more scientific manner than than uh, most others out there you have to see that it's broadly in line with that you run your regressions you check you know what exposure are you getting uh one way to get around the the time period and then is to do a monte carlo simulation and then run a probability scenario that okay you know this is what it looks like uh in the 90th percentile and in a worst case scenario at the 10th percentile this is also an outcome that could happen that you know you could have maybe minus 5% and there's a there's a 5% probability or or a, you know 10% probability that you could uh underperform or or not do as well so you have you have that probability in your mind that okay there's a 10% chance that could happen you look at uh, you know rolling returns over a period of time versus just looking at cagr point to point returns you look at one year rolling returns so then you have an idea of that you know on a one year basis i could underperform x amount of time versus looking at uh, three years uh, i could ex- outperform underperform by this much so then when you impl- go out and implement a strategy your expectations are in place right and then uh, because you we all come with our uh, back test and we expect that chalo i all is ready today i deploy my money and tomorrow everything is going to go up and you know everything will be as as hunky dory and <laughs> that is probably the worst time to to implement uh, and but if you have your expectations uh, in place you've done your homework you know that you could underperform uh, and there is a uh, and this x amount of probability that uh, that this could happen then you know then you sort of covered yourself because in investing nothing is certain you are working with incomplete information imperfect information and an ever evolving uh, market got it i i fully agree with you especially that first principle part right if if something is observationally strong uh, yeah. and and as a has a good economic uh, background to it or economic reason to it Uh, yeah. Then we can be much more comfortable with 
with the outcome of the backtest itself so you're not really doing you're not really a mathematician trying to find the best factors doing the best returns you're not doing large amount of data mining so to speak you are implementing yeah. first principles and then testing whether they work or not so yeah fully agree with you uh, one one question i had when you in fact that question popped up in my head so i'm just going to ask now even though it popped up in my head at the very starting was you said a, a reason of doing rule based shift was because you were not able to capture a lot of outsized gain in the stocks where you were um, how do you solve that with stop losses because eventually what i've also seen is larger journeys will probably have a lot of taking you out of the positions and then trying to bring you so i mean generally there is a consolidation phase in almost all stocks which do large yeah. uh, large rallies um, and and any kind of stop loss strategy you, if you put it too deep you're anyways not using the stop loss well so how do you right. how do you deal with that or how do you incorporate that in your working if at all you do that or you have given up that given up on that you know single stock 100x is not my ambition anymore or 10x is not my ambition anymore at a portfolio level i want to do you know returns so how do you think about this part yeah i think you've answered that that well so i so i i look at i look at uh, momentum as my stock or i look at uh, value as my stock or i look at this as my stock i am not attached to a name anymore or i am not attached to that you know this one is going to be a 100 bagger or that one is going to be a 10 bagger or uh, this is going to, i i i am focusing on the fact that my strategy is going to deliver for me over the long run uh and and you know that's what uh, will compound wealth or that's what will create wealth over the long run because you want to be uh, so just you know another correction on that that it was not that uh, that the winners were not doing well it was the losers that we were we were not taking care of so capital was getting eroded by the losers sure. not the winning stocks because the winning stocks would be and most of most of the stocks you know give their returns in a 2 3 year periods 80 90% of the gains will be made in that in that period and then sure. they will like you rightly said will go through a consolidation phase and then will come back again so uh, so you know we've seen some stocks that keep coming back but at different points in time we see uh, you know very very different stocks for example this time the psu banks and the way psu uh, finance companies Uh, power of power finance companies have come back uh, if i had 5 years ago i would be very very skeptical and i'm pretty sure i would have meddled with the system i would have sort of thought of overriding something here or there or something else but yeah have a psu uh, filter or something like that ha huh, i have a psu filter or some something like that and i would have missed most of you know because everything in the last 6 months has been about psu <laughs> and uh, and uh, thing like that you know all the railway stocks they all used to go up we we uh, you know we had used to have a railway budget at some point in time two three days before the railway budget the same stocks titagar wagon and you know some, something and the other will will start going up and after three days everything will go push and you know everything would, the rally would fizzle out and everything will go back down so if if you know if we had uh, if i had that kept that mindset i would have never bought into you know any of those and i was stuck to no no abhi so this is temporary or this is false or this is fake or this is uh, this to fizzle out right now and uh, but your uh, you know there is an interesting anecdote in in again one of the books that i i really feel that uh, most want investors will do but you know they have a very very different approach and i think there is only one 
person in the world who can do that and that is jim simons they they don't look for any any economic intuition they don't look for anything they just they say that if we tell you you know what we're looking for you will probably might laugh at us and they they actually revealed one of the one of their strategies which which had a very weak uh, efficacy which was that stock markets too much better on sunny days than on cloudy days because it has an impact on on the mood of a person and but they said it was a very very weak correlation so say they said so they go out actually doing data mining they go out actually say they have the statistical goggles and we go out looking for these anomalies and then we uh, you know go out there and do it so but i would i would say that uh, i don't think anybody else can probably you know remember that guy has this is his third career that guy used to be a code cracker at uh, you know during world war 2 he used to crack codes and he has uh, mathematical theories named after him and he's he's got the nobel in mathematics so i think most of us would not qualify for you know that approach which has a work for him but his partner you know one in, in one of the meetings uh, was talking to a large investor and uh, he was saying that you know if my system says buy chevron i buy chevron if my system says sell chevron i sell chevron and the marketing guy is sitting next to him and he's like you know turned white and even the large investor the lp is a large endowment fund sitting in front of and he's also like you know looking uncomfortably up and down because the company chevron had been delisted 5 years ago this guy had no clue that the chevron does not exist or this company does not exist he said it's just a ticker symbol for me so you know if if you can attain that kind of nirvana where the name of the company does not bias you because it will bias you whether you whether you have been an investor because the noise around you you cannot isolate yourself from that you know uh, that will come to you that oh this is duco bank abhi duco bank how do you buy or indian bank how do you buy central bank how do you buy <laughs> so how do you punjab national bank how do you buy or uh, so and again these names i'm giving for illustrations they're not recommended to buy or sell but you know to get to that level of nirvana where you don't care it's just a ticker symbol for you here to answer that- Poneet's question. I think the only way a momentum portfolio can get a multi-bagger is if we get a buy and it just runs, propels from the get-go. I mean, kind of a Adani gas or a Goa carbon kind yeah. of. Yeah. And even then, it will be like a six-seven bagger, not your twenty baggers or anything. Yeah, yeah. I I doubt you'll make a twenty bagger or thirty bagger. I mean, yeah, you can make a six-seven bagger, and that will sort of make your two years. Sure. So, okay, I have one more question on the momentum side of things, um, and basically, I'm just voicing opinions which I keep on hearing, and I'm, you know, I'm just bouncing it off from you. Uh, another common thing which I often hear is, you know, all momentum people are doing the same thing. They they look at twelve months momentum, uh, probably add volatility to it to, rem- to remove very high movements in short term kind of a stocks, uh, and. the more money comes to these ideas the more crowding becomes in the same names and eventually leads to very high uh slippages from the time the signal comes and when you know because people are acting together in a crowded market how do you address that problem if it is a problem if it is not a problem can you explain why it is not a problem yeah so i think uh, in certain uh, market caps uh, segments it can be a problem For example, in micro caps and very very small caps, 
if uh, you're doing something of that sort, it can turn out to be a problem. Uh, can you also just add some numerical context in what kind of size of markets you have seen this problem coming or dissipating, just for the ease of understanding for people? Yeah, so now, you know, now we just go with this every definition of market caps that 1 to 100 is large cap, 101 to 250 is mid cap, 251 to 500 is small cap, everything beyond 501 is micro cap. So any, anything beyond 501 and or even two, 251 to 500, uh, if you don't put a, a liquidity filter, like most people use uh, a medium uh, value traded of say 1 crore, if you have a small portfolio of 1500 crores, if you put 1 crore as a median filter in that universe, you probably will filter out most of the illiquid kind of counters. Uh, so that is one way to do it. Uh, the second, second issue of everybody doing the same thing, uh, you know, that uh, is like I said, uh, you know, is is true, but at the same time, I don't think everybody follows also what, you know, um, their own system at most points in time. And uh, can it get crowded? Uh, you, you know, a lot of uh, people are doing the, uh, like, the same question will not be asked of a value investor or of a fundamental investor that, you know, everybody is buying the same stock. And, uh, and are you going, is the value going to go up because everybody is crowding in the same trade? Uh, because if you scientifically design your, you know, your, uh, even if it's a momentum strategy, which, which say rebalances once a month or once a quarter and you rebalance it over a period of time, don't rebalance it at all at one go. If you have a very large portfolio, say of 2000 crores, let's say you're managing and say that that becomes a problem because, and you're taking say 30 stocks that, you know, that, that kind of size can perhaps uh, be become an issue. But if you look at the. Uh, you know, the index fund that we have to do, the UTI 200 Momentum 30, that is about 2,600 crores and assets under management. That's the size of the fund. And the tracking error is pretty low. And it, it takes it takes the top 200 as a universe. And it's, it's delivering momentum. Now, theoretically, like what you said, what people uh, say is that, yeah, if everybody's crowding in those same trades, uh, everybody's buying the same names, then, you know, will it distort prices? Will it have an impact cost when you go in and out? So, uh, so theoretically it should have, but, um, you know, there are buyers also for that stock at the, at the opposite end. And also if you, uh, have designed your system in such a way that if with size you've addressed it, if you have a small portfolio, let's say of, uh, say five crores, 10 crores then most probably you will be able to get out without having an impact cost. Uh, at some point in time, there was this issue with, you know, curated portfolios and baskets that was coming into play that every Monday, every, you could guess that, you know, something is down circuit that, you know, somebody is exiting and something is up circuit, somebody is buying and you're buying the same stocks. Uh, and, but that would typically happen again in that uh, small cap and micro cap segment where there are circuits and uh, you would not be able to get in and get out and that uh, that uh, return that you are seeing is in part theoretical because you're not going to be able to get out at that socket not everybody is going to be able to realize that return so that's why i think that uh, model portfolio returns would again you know be uh, say that you know take it with a pinch of salt because if you're playing in that segment of the market then capacity becomes an issue but if you are uh, 
yeah so so does that not okay so the um, in the very starting you also mentioned that momentum as a style is not really suited for large caps because there yeah. isn't much to play there in terms of uh, momentum uh there is the liquidity and you know size issues the moment you go beyond let's say 250 to 300 names doesn't that leave yeah. a very small space for the momentum investors to actually find the ideas and then uh you know operate in because large cap is probably top 100 names if i'm not wrong i don't know yeah. how you classify that but so 100 or niche 250 and then the liquidity filters leaves you a very small universe to work with anyways to find your momentum ideas and yeah, if and if yeah go ahead there are still 300 stocks to play with that's uh, and uh, you know and like you like we said you know we don't care about the name of the stock and we don't care and those those names keep on changing so so 300 is considering you are going acha so 500 is where you are stopping your uh, yeah, uh, yeah size limits so to speak Correct. okay fair enough so getting we are removing the top 100 so so for the momentum portfolio we've kept 400 stocks so and we are Got trying it. to pick 20 20 stocks out of the 400 so so we have uh, you know still 20% uh, you know our, our market cap today is what 3 trillion same as the gdp if you take sure, 3 trillion sure. Yeah, that's three thousand. So that's about twenty percent of that. Is about six hundred billion. I think it's okay. Six <laughs> hundred billion is a lot. Is a lot of money. Okay, fair point. All right. Take care. Manish, uh, Manish I just wanted to pick your brains on on the fact if the edge is so visible in the conservative formula, uh, how come uh, no one in the mutual fund industry has a product yet? Yeah, that's. So, so some people do have a recently launched quant fund uh, is broadly based on that. But see, if you look at it, Manish, uh, any uh, active for uh, even factor strategy is active only. They are not passive from any standpoint. But any fund, a discretionary investor would also won't also they be looking at similar kind of things, uh, you know, reaching the same place through a different process. You are trying to buy a company which is Say sort of fairly valued or undervalued. You're trying to buy a company which is perhaps going as entering a good growth phase, which is uh, you know maybe captured by the price momentum, and you're trying to ensure that you know it's not uh, uh, very very volatile and it's or uh, if it's volatile, it's volatile on the upside, not on the downside. So uh, so that. edge is really coming from the process and and following that process and people are i think have tried to launch have tried to get that but uh, you know damodaran ashwath damodaran in his book says that uh, the day a date a quant investor can marry a good story with with a quant process nobody can beat him or her i think the the that's one of the uh, issues in in uh, growing a quant uh, based portfolio or or uh, explaining it to investors is a, is perhaps the lack of a, a very compelling narrative which what trend follows in the us also face uh, so even though there is there can be a, a narrative that can be built around built around that i think it's still uh, early days and i i think i also made that mistake and i'm learning from it that uh, you know, that people even you know even people like uh, jim simons or people from his firm say that 
you know, not a lot of investors have made decisions based on data alone. They all like a good story. They want to hear a good story. And uh, the story can be that, you know, you made high, high returns. Either you go with high returns. There's a very popular mutual fund house today, which has grown like 30 times its AUM because it's, it's ranked number one uh, in terms of returns in the last three years. And, uh, you know, before, before that, nobody was, uh, distributors were not willing to touch it and, you know, nobody would take it. And suddenly the returns have emerged uh, in the last two to three years. Everybody is just uh, running after it. So are you saying that mutual funds are running the conservative formula, but they're not calling it that because that doesn't yeah. allow them to build a story around it? Yeah, or say that it is proprietary or or say that, uh, you know, we have our own framework to do certain things. And I, I think really think that the proprietariness really comes, uh, like I say, it's a, at the end of the day, it's an empirical performance driven kind of thing, because you can have a, you can go and buy a bat. I can go and buy a bat and Virat Kohli can have the same bat. My, my question was revolving around that only Anish. The problem is if you're not from the get-go outside calling it a conservative formula, you will allow the discretion to come in and then then discretion would come in on every second decision. Yeah, no, but even if you were to launch a conservative formula in a quant wrapper, you will still not say that uh, this has been something that we've adopted from here. You will still say that uh, you know, this is something that we have built in-house based on our value principles or on our long-term uh, investment framework, which takes into account certain uh, uh, parameters that we have discovered over the long run that uh, are unique to us and things like that. So, so even if it's a quant fund or it's a quant uh, uh, systematic system-driven fund, uh, you will still want something uh, some story or some proprietariness around it. The, pro uh, the proprietariness, because I think, you know, and somewhere it's fair, you know, the, the equity in, a, in our country is still a push product. It's not, you have two to 3% of the, of the population investing. So you still have to be, it still has to be sold. It's not something that has, is bought. So you, and if something has to be sold, now think about it. Any home loan is sold, not because, uh, they, they are saying that, okay, you know, buy a home is a good investment. They say, uh, you know, rent hua paraya, EMI hua hamara. That's how, you know, they sell, sell their home loans because they're telling you to buy a house, which is the worst investment ever. Or they will, uh, diamonds, you know, the whole story about how DBS built its story around diamond and why. Now there's no engagement can happen without a diamond ring. And there's a big marketing story around it or, uh, you know, uh, credit cards or whatever P people financing a good lifestyle using credit cards. So, uh, or, you know, auto loans or, or anything of that sort, everything is sold on sentiment. And, uh, I, and to, to that extent, I think I would, I should, uh, you know, we should all complement the mutual fund industry that at least this mutual fund Sahih campaign has, uh, I think the difference that I have seen in the, in 2008 and maybe in the last few, uh, crisis periods that we've gone through that a lot of people were in direct equity and this time around when they were in mutual funds, 
and especially in the last three years, the amount of SIP flows that have come in, they've negated the FIF flows. They've just made the FIF flows irrelevant. And I've been, for one, been very surprised, pleasantly surprised to see that because in 2008, people were buying, you know, there was all the infra stocks and all of that, and they got caught in that power stocks and, and people sort of swore off equities. Uh, but this time around, you know, because if the, the mutual fund industry has done that job of the mutual funds IEA campaign and put money, good good money behind marketing, uh, handheld investors and made them, uh, you know, stay through, invested through a cycle. And that's what I tell all the investors also, even if it's an index fund or even if it's 5,000 rupees, start with it because you will go through a cycle. And the whole thing is about sticking with your equity investment through a bad cycle because in an up cycle, everybody will stick with it. It's only in a down cycle that you start getting, uh, you know, jitters or you start feeling that, you know, should I uh, exit this and or should I time it and should I come back later and things like that. So I think that culture is changing. I think the youth today is sort of seeing that uh, equity is a way to grow wealth, uh, whether it is, uh, you know, DIY investing, whether it's uh, systematic investing, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but uh, <clears throat> I think that trend is growing. Financialization of savings is growing uh, because uh, the second or third or fourth home becomes a dead investment. Gold becomes a dead investment because it's it just stays there. Whereas when you are investing in companies, uh, you're investing in uh, growth of the economy, you are investing in employment, you're creating new sectors, you're creating new companies, you're backing new entrepreneurs, you're providing risk capital to that to that extent. So I think, uh, and that's what our country needs today. So I think that way, I think that industry has done an excellent job there. Anish, uh, one last question from my side. Uh, it's been a fascinating conversation. Uh, see, what you told us is just part of the uh, bull run story. I, yeah. I wanted to pick your brain uh, how to not get perturbed in a beer market. When an actual beer market happens, this uh, uh, how would you suggest people uh, fill this behavior gap and they don't chicken out? So give your money to, an, uh, to a PMS investor or a mutual fund, uh, you know, or... or, uh, or you know, honestly, uh, any any equity uh, investment will go through its down cycle. Now, the problem with that is that you will see the price on television. Even real estate will go through that cycle. Even gold will go through that cycle. But somehow we have convinced ourselves that, uh, you know, that this will come back. Or yeah, that, real, that real estate ka M2M hai na, so it's fine. Uh, so it's fine. Uh, the other big problem, Manish, also is not the bear market, it's also booking profits too early, like, you know, the disposition effect that we call that one of the reasons why momentum also works, that people sell their winners early and hold on to their losers. Now with real estate, tell me, if you buy, buy a house uh, and it goes up, say, 50% in value, you will not say that today, let me sell my bathroom, tomorrow I'll sell my balcony, third day I'll sell my parking lot fifth day, I'll sell a little bit of my bedroom. But when people have that in equity, they, there's this funny concept that I invested, say, 100 rupees. It's gone up to 150. Let me sell 100 and my rest of everything becomes free. 
I mean, that's that you are interrupting compounding. You are, I mean, that that whole notion that it it becomes free and you know, let me take my profit from that investment. You don't do that with mutual. You don't do that with real estate. You don't do it with gold. So don't do that with uh, with equity also. So even in a bull market, don't take profits too early, or in a bear market, don't uh, uh, you know have your expectation that. I mean, like Charlie Munger, who's turning hundred in about sixty days, says, "If you can't stand the heat, get out of the get out of the kitchen." And then have your asset allocation correct. That if you and and there again, know yourself. That if you know that, uh, so people say that you know, if you're in a salary, if your salary is bond, if your income is bond like, then your investment should be equity like. And if your equity is, uh, if your uh, income is uh, equity like, say you are working at a startup, you are working in a in a field where you are running your own business, your cash flows are not very certain, then you have to take more uh, conservative approach in your asset allocation and allocate little bit. Less. So you should you should know that, but once you've allocated say that twenty thirty percent to equity, then then you have to uh, you know take that you you have to go with that approach that you know at any point in time I can see a twenty thirty percent downtick in this uh, investment at any point in time. Yeah, I mean, and you know, funny you mentioned fear fear of cost holdings. Um, earlier, I, I used to very similar thought process. Obviously, it doesn't make sense if we think about it that way. But what I have also seen is that some people are able to hold on to certain stocks for years and years, just because yeah. mentally it is free of cost for them. So, so just because they have made it fifty rupees and they have taken out a hundred rupee cost, uh, because right. of that itself, they are able to hold on to the stock because they feel even if then then it becomes five thousand, they don't care. Yeah, so they don't remove that initial hundred. Yeah. Maybe this is a topic for some other time, but I strongly yeah. believe this uh, this mental maths is may sound funny, but it works because you're playing with the house's money. Yeah, so so mental maths is as per individuals, right? Yeah. Only. That's what he's saying, right? Know thyself. So it's it's really an individual's choice what works for him. If free of cost works for him, great. But if free yeah. of cost doesn't work for him, like like for me, it doesn't make any sense. So I am okay to compound on that. Uh, but I also understand why somebody would want to do that, uh, and if it helps yeah, him yeah. hold it longer, fair enough. Correct. And even real estate, for example, some people are able to hold uh, are will will chicken out of stocks and say that you know at at the twelve thirteen percent, then it's fine. At least you know if you invest in real estate at the right time, or if you invest in land, and you are able to hold on to that because you are locked in. It's not as liquid as stocks, right? You can't call your broker the next day and say that. You know, sell my flat or sell my land uh, immediately. So, so you know that's a behavior again, the behavioral thing. And I think that that's a very interesting point because uh, you know, and I've written about it in my book also, Mind Money Matters. That the edge that will be available to most investors over the next twenty, thirty years is is going to be be your behavioral edge. Information used to be an edge. Uh, you know how uh, even in the us now they have alternate data sets of credit cards so you know how many cars are entering the mall and they have satellites tracking all that data hedge funds are trying to do all of that kind of stuff today with uh, uh, you know gen ai they're trying to get an edge but ultimately the edge will be your behavior that will be the ultimate edge and if you are able to uh, you know in a crunch match situation the person who holds their nerves in the last over is able to keep their pool you know they they end up winning the matches similarly in investing 
if you are able to uh, you know follow your rules come what may uh, have confidence in them and you will only get confidence when you have spent a cycle with it you have done it yourself you've gone down to the brass tacks you you can't you can you can't borrow conviction you can't uh, borrow that uh, belief yeah yeah this is a topic of interest for me because you know i i wrote a blog on this subject as well endowment bias funny as it may sound endowment bias is not necessarily a negative thing i mean we did a podcast with devesh bhai who made a fortune with his stocks not per se because of his uh, great research or anything but primarily because of the endowment he got married to the stocks and wrote the entire journey yeah yeah no i mean there are various people like you know like uh, dolly khanna or you know uh, vijay kedia and all of these people who made some uh, 20 baggers 30 baggers in uh, you know some, like something like unitech for example he made i think believe his first dolly khanna's first multi bagger was in unitech which he says later turned to be a fraud but he made a fair amount of money on that kind of companies and and then later was in in hawkins or in things like that uh, but so you know some people are able to hold on to uh, those things and uh, i know so i know one of my friends recently who who put 30 40 of his 40% of his portfolio in a single stock and ha- held on to it and finally after two or three years that stock has gone i think four or five times now so so i think the ultimate thing is knowing yourself you can't you can't be saying i am a momentum investor today and uh, i am a value investor tomorrow or you know it's uh, i am suddenly become uh, options trader today and uh, you know that's that's where the problems start and i think that's the uh, that's the worst thing that you could do great 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 conversation anish uh, um this one last question from my side now uh do you guide our audience to some of the some of the references resources if they want to build their understanding or let's say yeah. even if professional money managers want to build their understanding on the factors on quantitative what is the best what are the best ways to go around it right so you know when uh, probably manish and i and you we all started 10 15 years ago trying to read about uh, systematic investing quant investing in india there wasn't a lot of research around it so we we used to read uh, uh, us papers or uh, papers from other countries but luckily now uh, now there are a fair amount fair amount of research is being done in india uh, maybe even if it's if we have we do have two three decades worth of information which is still quite a lot so uh, i have co-authored two papers with rajan but rajan also himself has written almost uh, 10 to 12 papers on factors investing and systematic investing so if you go to ssrn uh and search for rajan raju or you look for uh, our paper on conservative investing or factor investing you get it uh, there uh we keep uh, i've written a book called mind money matters which covers broadly you know the concept of asset allocation as well as systematic investing so it's available on kindle unlimited as well as on uh, amazon so you know that primarily was written for for uh, to educate people uh you know about what mistakes uh, you should not be making or what or, or at least what are the questions you should be asking your advisors uh and uh, you know that uh, and uh, you know the, those are the things that people should be asking because ultimately uh 
फाइनेंस और मैथ और पीपल थिंक फाइनेंस इज अ लॉट ऑफ मैथ एंड यू नो मॉर्गन हाउसल हैज दिस ग्रेट कोर्ट वेर ही सेज दैट फाइनेंस इज नथिंग टू डू विद मैथ्स और एनी दैट्स व्हाट इट्स हाउ पीपल बिहेव विद मनी दैट्स दैट्स ऑल व्हाट फाइनेंस इज इट्स हाउ पीपल बिहेव व्हेन इट कम्स टू मेकिंग मनी मेकिंग डिसीजंस सो so you know so so the questions that you should be asking your advisors i think because it's not taught in school or it's not you're not exposed to it at a very early age it's changing now uh, but that's that you know that is uh, a good resource you could go to the zeroda varsity uh, resources is, is again very good i think they've done an excellent job of putting together everything from fundamental investing to systematic investing factor investing options everything they've got so uh, you know that's one great resource there are a lot of number of uh, seminars and videos and of course stoic talks like you know you guys are doing uh, podcasts like yourself uh, and uh, on twitter you know again a lot of people are available to talk i think that's a fun, great resource if you use it the right way you know i have bumped into a lot of people like yourselves uh, on twitter i've met you guys on twitter i've uh, met rajan on twitter and you know co-authored papers on so if you use a resource like twitter the right way i think uh, that's a treasure trove of information waiting on there great perfect that's it from my side uh, manish anything from your side that's it from my side as well it was a pleasure uh, anish it was fun uh, yeah thanks it. so much thanks. anish for giving us time here it was a very thanks enlightening a conversation thanks for inviting me yeah, yeah thanks for my inviting pleasure. me our pleasure so thank you talk. so much This audio podcast is for general information purpose only and contains the personal views of the spokespersons. Do not construe this as an investment advice. Listeners before acting on any information should make their own investigation and seek appropriate professional investment advice before doing so. Any sectors, stocks or issuers mentioned do not constitute any recommendation and DSP Investment Managers Private Limited, the AMC, may or may not have any future positions in these. While utmost care has been exercised, the spokespersons or the AMC do not warrant completeness or accuracy of the information and disclaim any liabilities, losses or damages arising out of the use of this information. Past performance may or may not sustain in the future and should not be used as a basis for comparison with other investments. Mutual fund investments are subject to market risks. Read all scheme related documents carefully.